we all look like God and therefore if we behave not like God that's really inappropriate because people look at us and they'll say such a beautiful form and such ugly actions really not good meaning if you're going to look like God to behave like God so the first problem we had yesterday was isn't that slightly heretical I mean does not he has no form of the body and he has no body so what do you mean you look like God you can't look like God he has no body if you've got a body and your body looks like God so then God has a body ooh problem question we had what does it mean you created an image of God we borrowed from the Ramchal that said that the reason why you've got a body that looks like God is not because God has a body. God has no form. It's one. It's simple. But God interacts with the creation in a way that we can only grasp because of the fact that we have a body. Were we in Russia not to have eyes, we couldn't grasp the concept of the notion of Hashem seeing our actions. And if you don't understand that Hashem sees your actions, so then you can't really develop a sense of the proximity of Hashem in this room at this point in time. But for a moment, think about the following idea. It's a quite a freaky thought. To focus on it. Think about the idea that right now, as we sit here and chat, Hashem is watching us. And he's noticing every nuance of movement. Isn't that quite freaky? So forget about that thought. <laughs> Think about it too long. It may become from. So, <coughs> watching us. Hashem's watching us. But you can only understand when I say Hashem's watching us, Ruth and Wallace, you immediately can, you can grasp that. You can feel those eyes looking down on you. Why? Because you've watched someone else. So your eyes provide access to relating to how the Creator can relate to you, which is immensely valuable. Not only that, as I speak, it's a really scary thing for me to think about, but Hashem is listening to what I say. He's hearing these words. And when I start to think about it too much, I get a little bit, actually I have to start to think about what I say and speak with a little bit more reverence. These words are being listened to by Hashem, so then, but the only reason I can conceive of that is because I've heard words being spoken before and I've listened and if I don't understand the notion of speaking so then I'll never be able to grasp what prophecy could be in other words every little part of my body allows me a connection to what a spiritual reality is until actually what I do is I relate to my body as the analogy to the reality the reality is Hashem seeing a small encapsulation of what that is in its most tangible form is me seeing. But of course it's much grander and more powerful than Hashem can see from this side of the world to the next and extra vision and and and. But without the notion of my own capacity to see I would never grasp it. So what does it mean I'm created in the image of God? It means that my body manifests within it the primary mechanisms of interaction between the creator to his world. That's what the Ramchal shares with us. The Ramchal goes on, and the, sorry, the, the Ramak goes on and says, okay, now that we've established that, 
that's really just the form of your body, your physical apparatus, even if it would be static. It would be God representative. But now there's a deeper component of ourselves. The way we feel and our emotions. And just like perception of Hashem's interaction with the world can come through an awareness of how our body works until we can understand from seeing what Hashem's seeing from hearing what Hashem, so too we can start to feel what Hashem feels through our feelings. If I've never experienced love, I can't grasp what it means that Hashem loves me. And if I want to work on understanding Hashem's love, essentially the only way I can do it is by developing my own love for others. And the greater that my love becomes, the deeper my perception of the Creator is. All of a sudden, we stumbled upon an entirely different form of education and learning, whereby the process is not cognition, but rather experiential learning, whereby my being becomes a mechanism of understanding. As we said, my heart, wisdom of the heart, the heart learns, not the mind, not the brain. And when you do that, it transforms every little act you do to a completely different plane. That's a crazy of what we discussed yesterday. Correct? So now, let's take this a little bit further. How would this practically sometimes people are focused when they pray on what they call kavana intention, focus and they think that when coming to prayer the entire challenge is did I have kavana or did I not have kavana which is so ridiculously primitive, it's very worth mentioning. The nuances and the depth of tefillah are so vast. Really, if, and it's a mystery why it isn't this way, really the entrance to be allowed to use the Shemona Esrei should be reserved for the select few. Think about it. It's a sophisticated form of spiritual meditation which was designed over 2,000 years ago with people with prophetic insight. And here we go and we bludgeon our way through it <laughs> without the respect and the context. Before we even get to the Shemona Esrei, there's a certain framework that needs to be created in order to spare us from a collision. What's the framework? Think about it this way. The Gemara says that when entering into your place of worship, you have to enter in two doorways. Simply speaking, there was a standard measurement given to a doorway, and therefore, say the standard measurement was 10 cubits, the the two doorways would be you have to be 
20 cubits, approximately 10 meters in, away from the entrance to the shore, in order to pray. But then the question would be asked in the Gemara, if the Gemara is trying to convey to me a distance from the door, so it should do it in, in a normal unit of measurement. Tell me, it should be 10 feet away. Why would you use a tangential point as a mechanism of measurement, as a unit of measurement, two entrances? So the morale says that when you enter into the framework of prayer, you have to go through two gates. The first entrance portal that you have to enter is the one that takes you out of your mundane existence. So you have to go two entrances in. So the first entrance is, I have to leave the world behind me. The world of the material, the crust, the crust. The world has got multiple layers to it. I'll give you an analogy. from the business world. The higher a person is in the hierarchy of a company, the closer to the core of the company he is. So for example, on the outer rims of the company, you'll have the menial laborers, the janitors, the cleaners, and they'll be functioning on the physical, the ones, physical maintenance of the structure. So they're on the outer cusp of the of the corporation moving in one step you'll have the the clerks the people that do the perfunctory the secretaries they're, they're one step closer but they, they're not near then you'll have the junior managers then you'll have the senior managers and then you'll have the CEO now the CEO will never clean a toilet it's not because, I'm not trying to say it's below him. It's because he's functioning on a superordinate level. What he's trying to do is designing strategy and vision and delegation. And therefore, he's at a point in the company structure where he's much closer to the core of the company. And from him, the company radiates out. You get that analogy? So the closer you are to the core, the further away you are from the cusp, from the, from the skin. Meaning, the more vital your function is in the running of the show, the further removed you are from the actual tangible manifestation thereof. You with me in that, Marshall? You with me in the Marshall? Am I getting too vague? Too disconnected from what I said previously? Stum boring? Yes? You want me to do something else acrobatic? Don't mean you beat on that forehead and make a hollow noise like this. Yeah, that's an option. It's always an option. When davening, when davening, what would be if davening would be Hashem says, "Come, I'm bringing you into my CEO chamber. Here you go. Make the decisions about how the company is going to run. I'm putting you in a place where you're controlling." the direction of where this place is going. You've now been given the reins to ride this company to a place of your choice. So now, where do you need to be to assume that role? If you're busy cleaning the staircases, 
You have to let go of that job. You have to move in. You have to pass by the secretaries and the junior managers and the senior managers until you get to that geschmack office with a big oak desk and those awesome doors and you knock on the door and they say, ah, speak to the secretary. And you have to go in there. When you're in there, then you've got the whole map of the company lined out for you. You've got, and then you can start to say, okay, let's consult about how this thing's going to pan out. So the first thing you have to realize in Twitter, you're entering into the inner sanctum. In order to get to the inner sanctum, there's two portals you have to. You have to exit the world that you're in, because the world that you're in, in its mundane form, is it's in the nitty-gritty. You're a cleaner, you're not there, you're not running the show. Move away from that. Step number one. And then move into. So you have to leave behind and you have to go towards. Go towards. You have to get rid of that mundane mind frame and then you have to imbibe the elevated status. This is before you've opened your mouth. Just remember the Hasidim Rishonim as you have learned or will learn in Brochus. Hasidim Rishonim, how you show in Shoachas. You've learned that Mishnah. You're learning, oh, you're learning Sukkah. Probably why you won't get there. So the Gemoy Brochus says the Hasidim Rishonim, the original pious men, it's a Mishnah, they would spend an hour before they said Shemona Yisrael, an hour saying Shemona Yisrael, the Amidah prayer, and an hour afterwards. Which meant they spent nine hours a day involved in prayer. Nine hours a day. And <laughs> you complain about the Shachris in Rosh Nine hours. Nine hours a day means that if they wanted to pray the Shemona Yisrael prayer and take an hour doing it, it meant they spent seven seconds per word. So now think to yourself, if your concept of what tefillah is is their concept of what tefillah is, so then how in the world, for example, if you think of if you think of the Shemini as a prayer, so a prayer generally we look as a supplication, a plea, a plea for mercy. So I want you to then be ask you for mercy. So this is what I'm going to do. It. Seven seconds per word. I'm going to say. Well, starting now. David, please well. I'm going to stop here and ask you what I want to ask him. Do you understand? It's a little bit awkward. A little bit awkward. So if you understand that the Shemon Esrei is just a, it's, it's a me asking Hashem for stuff, it's a conversation, well, you can't conduct a conversation at that pace. It will be absolutely infuriating for anyone involved, both the speaker and the listener. So there's something else going on over here. There's something else going on over here. Okay, so you see, you have to go and do, and then there are all these alochas. For example, next thing, when you dive in, you cannot, even if you want to, let's say you feel particularly uplifted, so it's like, I'm going to dive in the chair today. Yeah, you're like one of these ballet children who's got funny ideas in his head, as we all do. So you say, oh, imagine, imagine, this one I'm closer to God. Yes. So you want to dive in the chair, and you think, plus, just think about that you can get like a better shackle. <laughs> your shockle can improve you know you can you, imagine right now my shockle is limited to my body but imagine Jeremiah if I could shock the chair as well so that, so I'm saying you get a really good rhythm here and if you could time your shockle to the beat of like something not too far that could be Gavaldi halacha halacha you can't 
Daven on a high spot. Not only that, but in the synagogues of old, how was the place where the Chazan would daven from? Designed? Do you know? Do you know? Sunken. Was in a hole. They dug a hole for the Chazan to stand in. No, I don't, I don't think it was like, you know, submerged, because I was, <laughs> like, why did you start the Shmonesra yet? You can't, yeah, you said these muffled sounds, coming from the, no, it was, but it was, it was a sunken spot. It was a sunken spot. That's interesting. So it has to be sunken. And then, before you even get onto the words, body position, body position, legs, straight. Now you have to realize, Menashe, that every part of your body, and this is really getting back to the point we began with, is a marshal. It's only an analogy. So what are legs? Legs means the capacity to have movement, to be a free operator. If I have no legs, you know, why weren't people designed like trees? It wouldn't be geschmack. You grew up in a nice garden, you had your roots. They were there. What do, you, what do you need legs for? Legs allow you the movement to express your own... There's two parts to your body. There's, there's two... The four fundamental limbs are legs and hands. Legs are your wheels. They, trans- they move you from one place to They are the symbol of progression. The analogy to progression. Halakha. You move, you move, you move. You're a hoilech. You're not static. And your hands are your um, creative contribution to the world. So your legs get you to the place and the hands make it happen. My handiwork is what I brought into the world. The way I bring things into the world, the way I translate my thoughts and desires and intentions into action is through my hands. You want to speak to someone that's far away, you want to achieve something, you're going to be using your hands in doing so. Basic, basic form, you want to make a house, you build it with your hands. If you can't build it with your hands, you find the body's there. Hello. Hello. So you've got your you've got your hands and you've got your legs and they've all got their they've got their they their ways of taking the potential me and bringing it into the world. My legs my legs are my transport system and my hands are my expression of creative being into the world and that's why in the world to come the Gemara says all you'll be left with is your hands and your face you'll lose your legs what that means it doesn't mean that you have these goodies that you <laughs> what it means is that your individuality is expressed by what you do everyone's fingerprints are different symbolism your impression that you can make on the world is specific no one else has got the same fingerprints as you no one else will leave that mark on the world that you can leave only you your mark on the world is you your face is a reflection of your inner being in the world to come your inner identity and the way it's expressed in your external world, meaning your face and your hands, will be what you have. Your unique contribution to the world is what you are here for, 
make it happen. So you've got your hands, you've got your face, you've got your legs, and now you have to figure out what do I do with all the stuff when I'm standing in prayer? How should I hold it? Now there could be many options. I don't know if you've seen Monty Python's Silly Walk. Silly Walk? There are many ways of walking. You can do the... I don't have to demonstrate them. Because uh, you can walk in many different ways. So the question is, theoretically speaking, maybe you should dive in like this. No, that's an option. What about the one-legged Shimon Esre? Or maybe you should dive in like this. Or like that. Yeah. Do you understand? People do this. You can dive in like this. How about a mini curtsy frozen in air? Why do you take those feet? Or why not like this? Why do you take the feet and you put them together? And they proceeded with three steps. Not three large, gigantic, clumping steps like that. Three steps where the measurement between each step is the size of your foot. So it's three small steps. Until your feet meet. What's the deal? Why do your feet have to meet? What's the three steps? And what's the difference that, say for example, in Eastern meditation, you take your feet and you tie them in a knot when you meditate. First of all, you're seated, you're not standing, and your legs are crossed, which is the complete and total dismantling of your transport system. In Judaism, you don't dismantle your transport system, you freeze it. And the Gemara says, why do you freeze it? Because you have to look like an angel. Angels only have one leg. What in the world does that mean? A one-legged angel? What do they do? They hop? No, they fly. When you only have one leg, it means that you can't move forward. What does that mean? I have to figure out what that means. And then you take your hands, right upon left, and you clasp them like this. And then there's a the head position. The head position says, the Gemara says, eyes downward, and then your heart upward. Whatever that means. So there's a discussion as to how far in you have to dive in. You have to go in two portals. Where to be, not high but low. How should you stand? Like this. And then there's the bow. Bow is a whole world. The bow. There's four, possibly seven. Each one having a different timing in this slow and well-orchestrated step-by-step graded connection when you've already entered into the office of the CEO of the world and he says come in and join me in the process of creation so why are these body movements relevant to that moment and then there's another thing the place has to be fixed. And when the place is fixed, you have to... You can't dive in here today, there tomorrow. The, what's, what's the deal with the fixed place? Again, when it's in the fixed place, it doesn't mean that if you see this guy that's popped into the base Medrash and he's considering maybe staying in Yeshiva and he's sitting in your seat and you go to him and say, Get out, it's my seat. And so, okay, that's Judaism for me. Do you know how many Jews have left their religion because they walked through the shores and they kicked them out of the seat? Like they deliberated for like hours 
they were embarrassed going to synagogue and they were drawn to it spiritually and then eventually they make the move and they sit in the seat and they think someone's got a warm handshake and welcome them and someone comes to them and says, Masi, get out. And they leave and they never come back. So I'm not suggesting that when someone is sitting in your seat you should kick them out, but you should have a set side, you should have a set place for dumping. So it has to be, that can't be high, has to have a lowness attached to it, and it has to be the same place, and then you have to lock your legs together, and then you have to bind your hands, and then you have to position your eyes downwards, and then you have to position your heart upwards, and then you have to start the process of buying. The process of buying has two stages to it. The bending of the knees, what are the knees, by the bend. And then the prostration of the spine until your spinal cord is stretched out and all your vertebrae reach the extended point, as the Gemara says. When you bow down, you should bow down like a reed. When you come up, it should be like a serpent. Like a serpent. Why those analogies? Why those comparisons? What are we talking about over here? Why do the bows occur in the first bracha, beginning and end thereof? And in the bracha of Moedim, which is the second to last bracha, what's the position? What's the structure and format of this incredibly complex, night-infested meditation? So, we've run out of time, but we really have to ponder these things. Once we get to this, we'll start to understand how by an experiential awareness of who we are and what our bodies are and what our emotions do we can learn to connect to the Creator and then we will not be like blind curators speaking about the religion if we're not engaging in it thank you for your attention and time